Welcome to Charla Cultural, a little chat about culture from Asterix Journal and City of Asylum. I'm Carla Lamb. And I'm Adriana I. Ramirez. Today, we're celebrating with Cave Canem. Founded by Toy Derricotte and Cornelius Eady in 1996 to remedy the underrepresentation and isolation of African-American poets in the literary landscape, Cave Canem Foundation is a home for the many voices of African-American poetry and is committed to cultivating the artistic and professional growth of African-American poets. Cave Canem has grown from a gathering of 26 poets to become an influential movement with a renowned faculty, high-achieving national fellowship of over 400, and a workshop community of 900. Cave Canem enjoys over 20 local, regional, and national cultural partnerships, among them City of Asylum. This episode is a continuation of our previous episode, number six, where we introduced you to and got to listen to some amazing Cave Canem performances from faculty and fellows when they performed at City of Asylum. So today, for part two, we'll be doing the same thing, digging through our archives. Yay! <laughs> First, we'll be listening to a poem by Lyra Van Cleef Stefanen. Then we'll chat a bit, followed by performances from Evie Shockley, Kevin Young, and Don Lundy Martin. Bomb lineup, and I'm so excited to hear them. For real. We'll talk, uh, yeah, we'll talk about those performances and then about what we're reading and some thoughts for the road. Bienvenidos, welcome. Yay! Carla, it's the last show of our first season. And what a journey it's been, our 10th episode. Did you ever think we'd make it this far? No, I never thought we'd <laughs> be here. <laughs> it all said we'd quit after episode two. And here we are hitting double digits. 10! <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's such a good feeling. And, and like, it's challenging. And I learn a lot like as we go and as we dig through the archives at City of Asylum. It's just such a privilege and an honor to get to listen to like a treasure trove. It's yeah. such talent that is there for the taking. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is amazing. And I'm so looking forward to kicking off season two with you next year in March. Um, and we'll have time to really, as you said, dig through and unearth the glory that is sitting up in City of Asylum's hard drives, man. So it's a really big honor that we're celebrating part two of Cave Canem's, I believe, 25th anniversary. Um, and so that's really exciting. And our first show has some, you know, luminary poets in it. But look at this look at the lineup here, man. Um, yeah. Evie Shockley, Kevin Young, Don Lundy, Martin, and Lyra Van Cleef, Stefanon. And that's because, you know, we couldn't fit them all. Yeah. And um, with this episode, it's a little teaser for a City of Asylum's next partnership with Cave Canem. So in celebration of their anniversary, we are like digging through the archives and showcasing some of the past performances from faculty. And like I said, fellows. And so it's what you're saying been- is that we are like a gateway drug. And the drug is poetry. And yeah. we're like, here, why don't you sample these delicious poems? Oh, you want more? Come back in October, perhaps, for more delicious poetry. And then you become <laughs> a poetry addict. And it's all thanks to us. Yeah. And then when we're on break, you'll have poetry withdrawal. <gasps> But then you can go back and listen to all of these episodes again. (laughs) See, we never go away. (laughs) Yeah, we're just seeping through your bloodstream. (laughs) We could really go on and on with this. It's a good Uh, metaphor, except, you know, we're, we're not actually like bad. The way drugs are bad. Drugs are bad, everyone. Don't do drugs. Um, (laughs) Unless they're prescribed by your doctor. (laughs) And, you know, they're not being subsidized by Purdue Pharma. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, yeah, we could really stretch this metaphor, you know, as as the poets say. Good God, um, no, let's stop. We're not the poets no. you came to listen to. Okay. <laughs> we no, we no, are no. not the droids that you are looking for. <laughs> um, when in doubt, make a Star Wars reference. So yeah, so let's <laughs> let's kick it off. Okay, here's a performance by Lyra Van Cleve Stefanon that took place in 2016. You ready for it? Ready. Okay. And this is, I always like to tell this story because it's like, it's illustrative of what a nut I am. Um, I used to live in, a, in, a, in an old abandoned um, fishing shack on an offshoot of the St. John's River in Florida, where I'm from. And I am a native Floridian. And one day, that's right, Florida, what's up, girl? What's up, girl? PhD, FSU, I see you. <laughs> And so one day, we my best friend and I decided, um, I, I had made um, dinner for my boyfriend and his best friend, and we decided to get in our canoe and go upstream. And then, because we had had too many bottles of wine, we decided that we were going to go into the swamp, native Floridians, all of us, and see what was in the swamp. And it was after dinner, and the sun went down while we were in the swamp. Yes. And so we were lost in the swamp for about five hours. And it was the closest to dying I've ever come in my life. I wrote a poem about Like to hear it? Here it goes. Lost. The river, unrolled bolt of silk, gives evening the smell of fish, wet leaves, loosening matter. We glide through its blue plum tent toward night, the leftover tang of red wine in our mouths. Upstream, an idea waits for us. If we were lost, how much more would we love each other? We four move toward this losing with the steady creak and drip of our rowing. We cannot in lowering darkness tell direction, whether the frog's croak came from behind or before us. Our bellies full, the swamp beckons us behind its green drapery. Whatever hides in the tangle, the surprise of cypress knees, the fierce sharp-edged palms welting our forearms as we walk blind through mottled nights, sulfur rot and sucking mud. What flies into our mouths, impossible to see. Mosquitoes lighting in our ears, their constant whine, high-pitched and crazy-making. The silent patience of gators and our weary estimation of their hunger. We will keep, we are certain, as we lose ourselves for hours, when we find ourselves again bankside and two must choose to swim because we're not where we began. The river moves despite our stillness, our breath breathing itself into the wet heat. Whether they disappear for good, the two who splash away, their heavy kicking swallowed by this evening. I am of the two who wait, waist high in water, eyes stretched wide to see nothing but night 
washing itself, black over black in muggy layers, inches from my face. Not my hands, skin of water, curve of meniscus, my breasts where I displace it, my undissolved legs immersed, merged with water, losing above, in, out of, but for these hands sliding over me, another's hands to keep me from becoming current tongue, lisp of leaf tips touching water, but for we too, touching, agreeing, this is my body, agreeing, I still belong in it. Thank y'all so much. I have to say, Carla, I do love me some narrative poetry. Yeah, absolutely. It's so fun when a poem tells a story. Um, and I love, you know, the preamble and and getting it a little bit beforehand. But I love how full of tension the poem is about what's going to happen to the speaker and the people that they're with. Uh, yeah. What are your reactions? What did you think? Oh, I just really tuned into the sensuality of oh. Lyrae's voice and the performance style, but like sultry, sexy. I don't know. There was just like, yeah, like, and it added to the suspense, I believe. And, and I also tuned into the fact that it is a narrative poem, but it's really saying something beyond the surface of the narrative. Yeah. I mean, I would say the Volta, the, the turn mm-hmm. at the very end of the poem, um, where it becomes, you know, you think the tension throughout the piece mm-hmm. is about whether or not they get found. Right. Um, yes. and yet, you, you know, in the poem, I think about three quarters of the way, you know, the author, you know, um, Vankley Stefanon tells us like we will be found. So that tension is released in terms of like what will happen to them, but the how of it is so unclear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at the end it turns and it becomes about the body and about the yeah. lived experience of being in a body and about, you know, whether or not you can hold on to yourself in the face mm-hmm. of disappearing. Yeah. And so I I think it's just kind of fascinating that it took that turn. That being said, I could be wrong, you know, poetry, highly interpretive, et cetera, but that's at least what I got out of it. And it I, really, I agree. It, it shocked me in a way yeah. uh, to kind of have to confront what does it mean to be lost in yourself? Yeah. Because it, even the images, right? The breath breathing. That like pencil something. dropping good. Boom. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> and then there's another line, like belonging. Like I agreed that my body belong to itself or like belonging in the body. And so, yeah, like I really love, like you said, like these narrative poems that you can get emotionally invested in, like, what is the heart of the poem? Like, what are you really trying to say? And like, can you bring your reader, not like hold their hand or actually, yeah, hold their hand through the journey, but like, don't spoon feed it to them. So like, (laughs) you know, that's like the, my mentor, voice coming out, but it's like, if that makes sense, I think that, you know, Lyra well, I, say, I, I think what you're saying is to trust the poem to do the work. Yeah. Trust, um, but don't necessarily give everything away that the poem is doing. 
Bingo. Yeah. Right? And there's a tension there that's really hard to articulate, right? Mm-hmm. You you want you want to have people be anchored. You want to have moments that are grounding. Like you don't want to be so surreal and so out there that it's hard to yeah. kind of have points where you can kind of, you know, yeah. anchor yourself in the scene or anchor yourself in the moment and the mood and the tone mm-hmm. and, you mm-hmm. know, the image, whatever. Um, but then you also want to take that risk and kind of leap into the abstract a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, and I, I really appreciate what, you know, Van Cleef Stefanon is doing here because it really does feel both intimate and sexy. And also there's a tension, but mm-hmm. it's also it's a poem about blackness that doesn't necessarily say it's a poem about blackness, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah, totally. I'm, I mean, I'm like already your skin in, becoming yeah. current. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's the image, of course, of like, you know, the actual swamps, like undercurrent taking her. But there is also the idea, certainly of like the contemporary in current. Mm, Right. And and so in your skin becoming current and something that is, you know, swept away from you in a really different way. And so it's almost like your narrative um, could be taken from you. And And so like who really is telling the story here? And I mean, and and I don't know, again, like this is just thoughts that the poem is opening up, but the fact that, you know, these images of like, you know, is the swamp in front of you or or the frog, sorry, um, you know, in front of you or is it behind you and that sense of displacement in the world mm-hmm. and the Ooh. like overwhelming sense of darkness and the imagery of mm-hmm. darkness and I don't know I, I just thought it was really fascinating the way it kind of played with blackness and darkness without necessarily coming out and being like hi this is a poem about blackness and darkness <laughs> absolutely and digging this up like just in this conversation is what I love about poetry and what excites me about poetry is just like yeah the double entendre the meaning, the layers, and then the craft, just like the simple craft of Van Cleef Stefanen, like being able to do that, like that it's just so, it's just so exciting. Oh, absolutely. And And you know, you know, there's, you know, (laughs) the author's probably listening to this and shaking her head and just being like, that's not what I meant at all. (laughs) You guys know nothing. Uh, And yet that's, that's exactly the enjoyment of poetry, right? Is that it is kind of like, so rife and so open to interpretation. And this poem is is an invitation. Like I, I like to think of every poem as an invitation into an author's mm. world. Yeah. Right. And to get a, get a sense of you know what echoes and what reverberates and mm. what's thematic and how do the poems play together. Um, you know, sometimes, oh God, I'll go back and revisit a poem I wrote years ago and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm still writing this poem. You know, yeah. there's, there's a part of me like, yeah, this is different, but in many ways I'm still working on yeah. this poem that articulates the set of inquiries or problems or concerns. And so, yeah. And I, I love poets who mine from their own life and from anecdotes mm. and are able to say, you know, this one night we got lost in a swamp and then I turned it into this beautiful work of art. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's also kind of amazing to me about narrative poetry is that it's able to, you know, by virtue of isolating that incident, yeah. um, mm-hmm. it, it allows you to kind of push that analysis and inquiry further. Uh, and yeah. So, and especially, but just like in the writing process, I, I found that if I do have a narrative, like that's the impetus for a like an entry point, right, to a poem or like, what do I want to say? But then through different versions and edits, you know, some of those different layers come in where where it is a little bit more nebulous and not as like a strict 
uh, or concrete like narrative or, you know what I mean? Well, there's also, I mean, there's also the way that what you're reading and what you're engaging with kind of Mm. begins to juxtapose with Mm -hmm. a poem when you listen to it. Right. And so, you know, recently having been reading a lot about slavery and the underground railroad myself. Right. And so to like, then in turn, you know, listen to a poem that is about being lost in the woods or being lost in the swamp, um, it, it kind of resonates in a really different way in terms of what being lost in a rural space can mean for a certain type of body, right? Yeah. How that resonates, you know, with immigration and, you know, people who look like me right now who are lost in swamps and, you know, what's at stake there as well. So, oh my gosh, yeah. but we have a lot more to listen to and not that much time. So uh, let's get to it. What's not to liken? The 14-year-old girl was treated like A, a grown woman, B, a grown man. The bikini-clad girl was handled by the cop like A, a prostitute, B, a prostitute by her pimp. The girl was slung to the ground like A, a sack of garbage into a dumpster, B, Somebody had something to prove. The girl's braids flew around her head like A, helicopter blades. B, she'd been slapped. The black girl was pinned to the ground like A, an amateur wrestler in a professional fight. B, swimming in a private pool is a threat to national security. The girl's cries sounded like A, the shrieks of children on a playground, B, the shrieks of children being torn from their mothers. The protesting girl was shackled like A, a criminal, B, a runaway slave, liking it or not. Um, This poem turns on my manipulation of some phrases. It began with phrases that my father used to say when my sister and I would be like, buy me daddy, buy me this, buy me that, buy me that. He had this like roll of, uh, of one-liners that he would say in response to all that, um, all those demands and uh, that led to this poem. And then it's called Supply and Demand. The more black boys you have, the more you want. You act like we're swimming in black boys. You can't keep black boys in your pocket. If you had a million black boys, what would you do with them? Do you think we're made of black boys? Your black boys are all tied up in property. Black boys won't solve all your problems. You don't just find black boys lying in the street. It takes black boys to make black boys. Most people don't know how to save black boys. Black boys don't grow on trees. To be continued blues. The old folks had it right. 
The darkness always plays with the light. Nappy curl of Bessie's voice springing through backwater blues. Strong, pull-tight spiral riding the plane that rocks upon the pianist's knuckles. Moon-faced, the proof and promise of sun shining out of her skin. When her vocal lightning strikes, sorrow gleams and winks. The joke is on tomorrow. Forgotten knowledge leaks from R&B's rusty acronym. Thought hip-hop had leaped over that lesson, but Chuck D tucked it under a rhyme. The old school had it right. Our darkness always shines out on its kin when it goes vocal. Lightning fast lines link black butterflies to who's that blues ladies or last trains leaving sundown towns to New Orleans no buses going nowhere fast sky so dark and bright she wailed 911 a long time ago thank you ode to pork <laughs> I wouldn't be here without you. <laughs> without you, I'd be umpteen pounds lighter and a lot less alive. You stuck around my ribs even when I treated you like a dog. Dirty, I dare not eat. I know you're the blues because loving you may kill me. But still, you rock me down slow as ham hocks on the stove. Anyway, you come fried, cued, burnt to within one inch of your life. I love. Babe. I reveal. Keep sweat, you got it. <laughs> Babe, I revere your every nickname. Bacon, Chitlin, Cracklin, Sin. Some call you murder, Shane's stepsister, then dress you up and declare you white and healthy. But you always come back sauced to me. Adam himself gave up a rib to see yours pile pink beside his. Your heaven is the only one worth wanting. You keep me all night, cursing your four-letter name, the next begging for you again. <laughs> Bereavement. Behind his house, my father's dogs sleep in kennels. Beautiful. He built just for them. They do not bark. Do they know he is dead? They wag their tails and head. They beg and are fed. Their grief is colossal and forgetful. Each day they wake, seeking his voice, their names. By dusk they seem to unremember everything. To them even hunger is a game. For that I envy, for that I cannot bear to watch them pacing their cage. I try to remember, they love best confined space to feel safe. Each day a saint comes by to feed the pair and I draw closer the shades. I've begun to think of them as my father's other sons, as kin, brothers in paw. 
My eyes each day thaw. One day the water cuts off and back on. They are outside dogs, which is to say healthy and victorious, purposeful, and one giant muscle, like the heart. Dad taught them not to bark, to point out their prey, to stay. Were they there that day? They call me like witnesses and will not say. I ask for their care and their carelessness. Wish of them forgiveness. I must give them away. I must find for them homes, sleep restless in his all night. I expect they pace as I do, each dog like an eye, roaming with the dead beneath an unlocked lid. This one's called, When You Were Mine. When You Were Mine. Nothing passed us by. Baby, you're much too fast. In 1990, we had us an early 80s party. Nostalgic already, I dug out my best OPs and two polos, fluorescent, worn, worn simultaneously. Collar up, pretend preppy. When Blondie came on, Rapture, Be Pure, things really got going, and then the dancing got shut down by some square. What was sleep even for? Housequake. What was sleep even for? The year before a freshman, I threw a prince party, rescrewed the lights red and blue, the room all purple, people dancing everywhere, clicked play on the cassette till we slow sweated to erotic city or do me baby. I'm going down to Alphabet Street. Did anyone sleep alone that night? I feel for you. Shut up already. Shut up already. Damn. Cabbage Patch, Reverse Running Man. Get some life wherever you can. Thank you. If your book is a house, what does the foyer look like? The book is like a long, thin, wavy tendril stretched into the sky from a small spot at the top of my head. At the end of the tendril, somewhere far in the sky where I cannot see is a mutilated black face. A little me is sitting on the top of my head holding the tendril like the string to a balloon. Question, whose blood? The blood is a corrupted document of one's fate, but when I am beautiful and young and open with no features that distort or take away from, it's easy for the stranger to enter the space of my body like a god. Does the blood become a further stain on wet, light feet, I don't know. A psychic once told me that I would live a very long life epic, she said, like in a Russian novel. Really, it's only blood, very symbolic. So many days I spend in bed bleeding out of my vagina, so 
hungry, I'm distorted, I call people to my bed until I feel depleted enough to sleep. Question. We are wondering why there is a small self. Maybe the prologue is your body. Because the question at the center of the book is, why doesn't one just die? And the little me is holding the thin line because there is a squashedness to existing in the present. And I, I can't think about question. What I like is that the little self is holding the tendril like a balloon because it gives me the impression that you are letting the mutilated thing go. I can't think about how to exist now without pressing together big pasts and small pasts, big pasts like historical collective trauma and the narrow self-indulgent past of personal invasion, self-configuration at the hands of another, the mutation of blood, the development of the multiple anyway, the little one who holds the weight of the past, the little one holds the weight of the past. Maybe she is already dead as she sits, who knows? But then, as I was writing this book, it was the summer of Sandra Bland, and then the summer of Freddie Gray, and then some cute kid was shot in a big box store while holding a toy gun, and so many others of these deaths unexplained in the logics of rationality we hold so dear and the white boys are hand slapped for brutal rapes life just goes on the past isn't the past but the present it's all laid out in the same space time plane the tendril becomes like reaching into another dimension its symbolism changes question why exhale after the inhale the breathing is the mantra could the trauma be keeping us alive. What happens is we walk through a door. On the other side of the door is a manifested future place. It's configured very differently from this one. Its shape is different, but we created it so we recognize it. We understand its workings, which are mostly based on intuition. In the book, what's keeping us alive is the ability to imagine something very other than what's been shoved down our throats, what's been taken up into ourselves. To imagine something other is to leave the known world. No death, but instead the door. To place a body alongside the grubby stranger, and then the stranger is in the lockbox, and then voila, a self is three intentional selves, and the Three selves are like different manifestations of this thing we call blackness. So now you know what the book is about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Carla, I'm going to kick this off with a deep and important question. Do Give it to eat, me. Do you eat pork? <laughs> Uh, not currently, no. <gasps> so what did you think about listening to Kevin Young's poem about the pork? Uh, I thought it was great, like a great, you know, ode to pork. But then also, what is what else is he saying? It's it's deeper than that. Oh, or yes. or is it? I mean, <laughs> obviously, like objective or I'm sorry, subjective interpretation. But 
Right. Like people can, or like readers, audience members can just be like appreciative of like the surface level meaning and make meaning for themselves. Um, but yeah, what did Kevin Young, what was he talking about? You know, um, do you eat pork? I do. I do. I admit that I was literally eating a Cubano sandwich with pulled pork Mm -hmm. in it while I was watching hand fruit while I was doing my homework for the episode. So (laughs) I definitely looked at my husband, looked at my sandwich and went, ah, yes, yes, sir. I do feel you and you might kill me. Um, And yet I found myself really you know, kind of snapping along and smiling at the cleverness, you know, mm-hmm. of, you know, the way that pork has been reclaimed by whiteness, right. And, and mm-hmm. evocative of all those commercials in the nineties that were like pork, the other white meat. Um. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Oh yes. Pork, the other white meat. Um, and yeah, you know, the fact that it has such a great connection to cultures that are not white, um, you know, and so like one of my favorite pork products, you know, is of course, um, pork rinds. Mm. Oh yeah. Yum. Right. And it's like the most Mexican thing in the world to love. A little tapatio, a little limon. Uh I honestly, if you put that in front of me, I'd eat it right now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All vegetarians can suck it. Um, (laughs) you're vegetarian, aren't you? Like, yeah. 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 So is my husband. But you know, you know what? I, Whatever. Down with vegetarians, up with pork. I'm on team Kevin yeah. Young. <laughs> All the way. 100% pork products. Well, Give me I the pig. <laughs> came back. Oh my God. Uh, I just came back from Mexico where I spent almost three weeks and I was eating meat. And before the trip, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give up being vegan. I'm going to take a break. I have to like acclimate my body and like reintroduce meat. But well, and it's, I really, not- it's really hard to be vegan in Mexico. Like, oh my God. You would die. You would die. You would die of starvation. Yeah. Especially like, like you- not being in a big city, which I know you weren't, you know, you were out in the yeah. rural lands. Yeah, there's no way. It's like a there's- meat, cheese, and bean based diet. What are you going to do? Oh, absolutely. And just eat I, beans. And I, <laughs> right. No, I'm not going to just eat beans and rice. And like there's, you know, soap and other things you can eat. It all there's secretly a- has uh- meat. It all of it. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> What do you think that broth is? <laughs> right, that too. Um, yeah, but just like culturally, you know, like I went in knowing, and every time I visit Mexico and like the family, uh, I, like I know that, and it's also like a privilege to, to like it's it's a privilege to choose vegetarianism to choose veganism and right like yeah like you're privileged enough that you can choose to do x or y um yeah. but when you're on a subsistence based situation mm. you're not necessarily sitting there thinking about like the ethics of pork uh when right. it is like the thing that your family like lives on um and oh, i know truly. that it's especially marginalized cultures in the u.s where we were you know, given the worst cuts of meat to work with and we're able to make delicacies. Right. And, and I think that speaks also to a kind of survival. And so, yeah, a poem about pork is, is funny, is light. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when you start kind of digging into like what it means and what it's really saying it, you know, <laughs> it is doing more work. Um, oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, and, and I, I really appreciate that. And I know, you know, like Kevin Young, big deal, like, you know, poetry editor new yorker blah blah but but also somebody that's you know entertaining us while at the same time kind of making us go Ooh, okay yeah yeah a little poignant there kevin 
I, we, we can't not talk about Eve Shockley though. Oh, love it. Love like, it. Got to transition to that because way to use form to just yeah. punch in the gut and twice, twice use mm-hmm. form. Cause like that first one with the like a B kind of yeah, structure of forcing you to kind and, and the play with grammar and, Oh, there's actually a term for it that I'm probably going to mess up. So I won't use it, but there's, there's a term for when she, when you kind of use the same word in both of its meanings in two different ways. Um, and the poem kind of is really just a masterclass in that, right. Yeah. You know, is this person being treated like a prostitute or B a prostitute being handled by her pimp? Right. It was just, uh, just, yeah, just like um, my jaw is all the way down to my knees. I'm floored. I'm a puddle on the ground, basically. Oh, yeah. And so the, 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 the way the form punches you in the gut over and over again. And you're yeah. just like, and you don't even need to know who was right or what the conflict was. You just, yeah, and you just yeah. see it. Like the focusing on the details, like the cuffs, the hair, you know, is it a helicopter blade? Like, oh, it just. I don't be- and yeah. the poem like doesn't conclude like it doesn't give you an answer but it feels like a multiple choice like it implicates the reader oh yeah it's a multiple choice we all failed culturally yeah that it enabled this moment to happen right and it's um you know about who owns space and who gets Mm -hmm. what yes it's it's people of color being arrested disproportionately for small crimes and that's the culture we live in you know so many people fail upwards that are Mm. truly mediocre and so many people are extraordinary and are just caught in a system that exists to oppress them and oh man i'm just gonna cuss fuck like that poem just slapped me in the gut. <laughs> oh yeah. And and then to follow it up. That right. With right, right, right. Um I, supply poem, and demand. The poem that is not about money and yet it is completely about money. And uh just like when did you so she she introduces the poem by saying like I manipulated some phrases like my dad used to say and then right. Did you have that moment where it's like, oh my God, my dad used to say that too. And like my oh, dad, these are all cliches, right? Yeah, They're all yeah, cliches. Yeah. They're all yeah. like the transposal or whatever you want to call it. Just, it just, the, the way that black boys have been commodified. I mean, the property mm, line mm. wrecked me and that final line, like black boys don't grow on trees. Oh my just, God. The, the connotations the history exactly and the yeah it just I I mean I was crying like I had to stop the tape and just be like let me clear all the history from my face um (laughs) it was yeah it it took me like two or three lines you know I was like looking to the archives kind of casually and then like I had to like stop short like rewind what did what is Evie Shockley like doing to me right now? And the, it was like two wrecking or three lines, my like face. Wrecking, my, <laughs> wrecking my soul apart. And like, yeah, yeah. And then there's Dawn, which, oh, so what's the book about? <laughs> oh, man. What a Q&A that was. I mean, it's, I would say it's a prose poem. It's just this beautiful artistic, like, (laughs) who's, again, playing with form and, again, challenging our notion of what an introduction should do or what an explanation of a book should do. And, you know, I'm always wary when a poet says, like, oh, I'm going to explain this book. But then the explanation was far more poetic (laughs) in many 
many respects um, yeah. than I was expecting. And so I, I do love the way that like prose poetry uh, can do that and the way that it was modeled after kind of a Q&A of editorial notes. Um, and I just, it's again, going to that way that, you know, some poets play with form to achieve a very like emotional and striking effect. And yeah. so, yeah. You know how you have like a little voice, like someone told me that a prose block poem was the most adequate for like a trauma based or like a really emotional when the content is like very vulnerable or whatever. And like, which poem isn't, but at the same time, one of my teachers along the line said something like, okay, you're a prose block poem masks that in the form. I would but say then, the breathlessness yeah. of the form. Yeah. yeah, yeah and that there's though. no space in some yeah. ways can almost feel like there's nowhere to breathe. There's nowhere to stop until you hit the end. And so it's right. And especially if, right. Like if you don't use grammar and a lot of the time I'll use, um, like slashes, like mm-hmm. forward slash and like, no, no, um, which no I think period, is really interesting because like it's yeah. like, here's the line break, but not nah, dog. I'm gonna keep going. Right. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I find that to be kind of hilarious and I'm guilty of it as well, you know, and I, and I love many poems that use this and yet I yeah. love that. It's like, here's a micro breath. Now we keep going. Do yeah. Not stop. Do not Don't stop. Like I, this is I, a California stop. We roll right through. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. No kidding. Um, going back to Evie, Evie Shockley's, um, structure and forms. Um, I do remember having the reaction of like, I want to try that. I want, like, I feel like I can try that. Mm. I don't know. Do do you ever, do you ever? Oh, I have so many poems that are like after so-and-so's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. After blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what good poetry does is it makes you go, okay, let's see what it looks like if I try this on. And it might not work. It might be a total failure. You know, you might be committing a light after after appropriation, um, but it also might be transformative and amazing. And so you got to take that risk and try it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I, you and me could talk forever. And I love that about this, but it also means that we have run out of time. So what are you like reading or watching? What is up? And uh, yeah, what's going on with you? Okay, I, I have a couple of things this time. Well, I just finished binge watching Money Heist, which Ooh. I'm late to the party, late to the party. Apparently it's been going on since like two years ago now. I have not watched um, it or heard of it. So I'm oh, incredibly okay. late to the party. <laughs> You might like it. So yeah, without giving up or like without giving it a heist about money. uh, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. With beautiful people. Oh, okay. Beautiful. Yeah. And beautiful actors are like super invested in the actor's character development. Um, There's a lot of like sexy scenes and it's in Castellano. And so it's like, no, I really, I never really like appreciate. I, I think like that um, particular Spanish before and like I like love the from slang. With the oh, yeah. with the with oh, my the, God. the accent. Yes. Yes, but like, sorry, I'm racist against better. people. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. I think they'll be fine. Um but yeah. Colonized so my people. No, wait, you're 65% Spanish. What? I hate myself. Yeah. Okay, that was a play in three Ex- parts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a six le- or six word short story um (laughs) yeah so I just finished binge watching that and then and like it's super cool there's a lot of um like easter eggs kind of show it's on Netflix um, but as far as um while I was in Mexico I finished reading Sabrina and Corina uh short stories by 
Cali Fajardo Anstein. Okay, um, I've heard really good things about this. It was a National Book Award finalist, and it mm-hmm. is definitely on my books to buy list. So, yeah, how was it, Sabrina and Corina? It was incredible. Relatable stories about Latinidad, about being female, about traversing, you know, like everyday life, family dynamics, even just like poverty, abandonment, liter- okay. liter- literature, and like, and, and like brujeria and like feminism and like all of these things that, that are just, that I could really like latch onto and be like, wow, that's, that's me or that's my family or that's like where I came from. And a lot, the, a lot of the stories are based in um, Colorado, I believe. Okay. And so we'll check okay. it out. Like, Sabrina yeah, yeah. and Corina. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, let me see. I've been watching the white Lotus mm-hmm. um, on HBO max and um, <laughs> oof, I feel like is white. It is about white mm-hmm. privilege in a way that is like, whoa. 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 Okay. Um, I have a so lot you of recommend? Thoughts. I highly recommend. It right. is full okay. of tension. It is delightful. And it is a character study of some incredibly messed mm. up people. Um, and it is, yeah. And it's got, you know, it's got like a teasy kind of structure. Like, you know, at the beginning that someone dies and then it flashes back a week. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out who dies, how and what. But honestly, these people are so wild that I think most of us have forgotten that there's actually a mystery afoot. Um, but <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Is there, there have been scenes that popped on that. And I went, Oh my, in my best George Takai voice. Oh my. (laughs) So uh, white Lotus for all of your, Oh my's. Um, And then last night I actually sat down and watched the old Catherine Hepburn film, the African queen. Whoa. Okay. Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn and, uh, it's a complicated film. Um, it's about like two white people in Africa who are like, you know, the the Germans have essentially, it's like World War One, and the mm. Germans have like burned all their resources and where they were staying. And so they're like, you know what? The two of us are, we have this little tiny tugboat thing and we're going to go... Uh, try to like wreck a giant German ship in the middle of a lake in Africa, which I think is supposed to be like Tanganyika. But anyway, it's, it's a really crazy movie and Humphrey Bogart got an Academy Award for best actor for it. Um, and Catherine Hepburn is amazing. And every time somebody calls her ugly, you can just see her eyes kind of tense up and I'm just like, Oh snap, they're going <laughs> to get it. So wow. even, even her brother's like, kind of neat um <laughs> well that's that's funny that you say that because like yeah when when a movie is titled wait what it was it the african queen yeah it's the, the name african of the boat. queen it's the name okay. of the boat but yeah yeah i wasn't yeah. sure i mean i know it's I'm, in like the afi like 100 best films of whatever whatever and i was always kind of like oh these two people are in the middle of like German East Africa, which ooh, let's talk about the disgustingness of colonialism. And the beginning yeah. is all about kind of like the way that missionaries are kind of screwed up people. Um, and Thank what you. they're doing is another form of colonialism. Um, but I'm not sure how self-aware the film is. You know, I think right. watching it from 2021 eyes is really different. And yet I, the film is ambiguous enough that it lends itself to that interpretation. So I don't, I don't know. I don't quite don't yeah. know if it's a racist movie. Um, I, I don't think it's concerned with racism. I think okay. it's really kind of more so about these 
two stubborn ass people or it thinks it's about these two stubborn ass people but yeah. really when you kind of zoom out it's like ooh, ooh, right mom entitlement well, here is complicated yeah <laughs> well i was just gonna say like a lot of the time you know that's how we can look at poetry too like yeah a lot of the time like there is the complex there are the complications the social commentary and you know from all the poets we just heard to me it's just like beyond what's on the page beyond what even they're performing and and I love like those golden nuggets where like the memorable parts or not the memorable like every what am I saying? No, so there like, are images that stick with you. Yeah. And there are things the image, that just exactly that you walk away from. Like you might not remember an entire poem, but there's something that'll catch you, you know, like where's the frog in the darkness kind of thing. And you'll you'll carry it with you later, even if it wasn't the deepest or most emotional and most impactful line, but it just kind of sticks in your craw to get all texts right, on yeah. you. <laughs> and maybe like maybe it wasn't meant to be like social commentary or or like any kind of but it can't help thing beyond itself. that. But right, right, right. And it, because and, like, we all exist thing. we exist in a context. And right, like uh, it's uh timely. It like resonates. And even yeah. if some of these poems from like 2016 from everything we've been digging up from the archives from uh to 2020, 2021, um, a lot of those same issues, you know, are, are still very prominent in our Oh yeah. I mean, in, good in art is psyche. immortal. Good exactly. art is immortal. You know, you read and, like the freaking Bible or you read the Odyssey or you read whatever is Sumerian texts, you know, you go and look at ancient Ethiopian things and they're focused on the same things, right. About survival and love and negotiating a complex world. And um, how many, like we've been writing about, you know, like these, uh, like human drama. And I think, obviously like audiences readers and everybody like we latch on to this like human drama and we've been writing and performing it for millennia and it all comes back to obsession and <laughs> I, no it all comes back to telling stories so we oh, yeah. recognize each other carla okay, it's not true, about true. obsession it's about making sense of this terrible world we live in and yeah. maybe realizing we're not as alone and because uh, we're all yeah. obsessed about the same things. There you go. I like that. Obsession yeah. reminds us that we're not alone in our yeah. in our weird loneliness and yeah. in the way that like the world can be overwhelming and poetry is yeah. one way, but film is another and seeing how things hold up and make sense years after they've been written and made is, wow. you know, yeah. the test of time. So, wow. Well, on that deep ass note, um, yeah. I think we should probably Readers go. So, are like, yeah. Yeah. Like everybody, so, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. No, that's, I think the most important thing we could all take from yeah. this is yeah. trust me, like artists are lonely people trying to navigate world mm -hmm. that is overwhelming and that you know can sometimes seem like it really wasn't made for us mm -hmm. but we make art to deal with it and in doing that we make the world a little bit better a little bit more beautiful a little bit more beautiful so at least it's nice to look at yeah. <laughs> all right well on that note thank you guys so much for listening to us this first season please find us online let us know what you think please share this widely uh please talk about it amongst yourselves quietly journal get inspired write read do things and thank you so much yes. for joining us it's been a pleasure bye Adios. we'll see you in march bye ciao <laughs> City of Asylum builds a just community by protecting and celebrating creative free expression. Asterix, 
is a transnational feminist literary arts journal, co-founded by Angie Cruz and Adriana E. Ramirez, committed to social justice and translation, placing women of color at the center of the conversation. Charla Cultural is hosted by Carla Lamb and Adriana E. Ramirez. Voice of Goddess is Alexis Jabour. Editorial support by Clarissa A. Leon. Production design and brand management by Little Owl Creative. Our theme song is Colombia Folk by Luis Alfonso. And thank you as always to our sponsors, Asterix Journal and City of Asylum.